RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. So, let's see. Last week, we talked about a, a more recent game, probably from the, from last year or so, the, the, the Prison Break, and the freeform, you know, no minis, theater of the mind approach that we took to that game. We're actually going to step back and talk about an earlier game. Oh, really? Which one? Uh, the Reavers of Harkenwold. It was the game that came packaged in the so-called Dungeon Master's Kit. I remember the name, and I remember Harkenwald as, as a location. I don't remember the specific game. Oh, yeah. This is from my completionist era of trying to knock out all the 4th edition Essentials line. And this was uh, another part of that. But before we jump straight into that content, we should probably talk about subscribing. So we have, we have a, a, what's it called? Sorry, an iTunes feed now? Yeah, iTunes or Apple Podcasts for the people who use uh, uh, the iPhone or iPad. I was about to say iPod. I guess actually uh, there's still iPods, right? Like the, yeah. Uh, just basically if you have Apple Podcasts, search for RPG Lessons Learn uh, and add us and uh, you, you'll get an episode every single time we post one. It's pretty awesome. I'm actually legit excited for this for myself. I can't wait to subscribe to my own podcast. Awesome. Yeah, I, I for all my stuff I subscribe to. If nothing else, it helps me know if there's anything going on. Yeah, fair enough. All right, The Reavers of Harkenwald. So, Brian, do you remember this game at all? Not really. And that's okay. It it was some time ago. So let me recap it and and see if we can cast your mind back. We played this game over two, possibly three sessions, uh, and it was kind of hot and cold. The first session, which I'll talk about first, was a little cold it left us cold um you might remember this as the first game where we incorporated mark oh yeah 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 so he played a dwarf he did yeah he he always plays a dwarf um all the way back to his days in everquest but uh actually in warhammer he he always was the the dwarves in warhammer fantasy but anyway um this game was all about defeating the iron circle so uh they were these guys they were, they were all wearing armor you know they they were an army they were very consistent uniforms. They all had, you know, circles printed on the chainmail on their chests. If this is jogging any memories for you, I, so is this? Wasn't there like some Deus Ex, a Deus Ex Machina to actually incorporate Mark, Mark into the game, or is that a later game? You're thinking of Cairn of the Winter King, okay? Which we'll talk about in an upcoming podcast, okay? Um, but I am proud of that, and we will absolutely cover that in Cairn of the Winter King. But uh, no, not not in this game. In this game, we we, we incorporated him as part of your travels. You actually left Falkrest and headed down toward the uh, southeast, toward Harkenwald. And uh, that's it's all in the Nintir Vale. I still love the Nintir Vale, the default setting from 4th edition. It started off with you guys running into some Iron Circle kind of brigands terrorizing a woman outside of her cottage slash farmhouse. And it turned into the mayor of... Um, was it Albridge? I think it was Albridge, asking you guys for help against the Iron Circle. Uh, in this game, the, you went into a cavern against some bullywugs to defeat some bullywugs to to earn some cred amongst the druids and, and, and get help from those allies. And you also went to the Woodsinger elves to get their help, and they they requested that you go, you know, defeat this uh lich basically this necromancer was i playing uh inigo or the dragonborn at this point you were the dragonborn by this point okay yeah you were the dragonborn for the most of the essentials line yeah okay that helped me place it okay um 
when you were helping out the elves and you went to the Stonehenge looking complex and you went underground to defeat, you know, to get past some goblins and defeat some undead and, and defeat this evil wizard on behalf of the elves, this is when the infamous Goblin Pants story came about, that Goblin, goblin Pants. pants. And do, do you remember this? Uh, I vaguely remember the Goblin Pants. Okay. I, 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 we always turn something into a joke, and I remember that being the, the, the primary joke for uh, at least one session. Yeah, so the story there was that Chris was playing a, a, a changeling. You know, so we were all using the 4th edition character creator. You know, All the races and classes were available, and, and Chris had... had built this character that could change, you know, shape and face and, and, and all this. And he had actually changed into a, a goblin to talk his way past the goblins. And uh, one of the jokes was that his clothes didn't change. So he was a goblin that was wearing pants. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Okay. So learned a lot from this game. Uh, Mark was along with us, and Mark actually pointed out one of the lessons in the middle of the game, um, which was it felt so tropey and unrealistic why would it with this group of elves these wood singer elves that you've been sent to befriend you've literally been sent to ask them to pledge their army to this cause against the iron circle and these wood singer elves say to you yeah absolutely you can you know we will pledge our army if you do something for us and we need you to go defeat you know roughly you know five to ten goblins and a couple of undead <laughs> and if you do that <laughs> then we'll use our army to help you defend Harkonwold. <laughs> That's true. And I actually reread the adventure uh, this morning to see if there was any justification for why the Woodsinger Elves army, whose help that you're asking for, couldn't have taken these folks out on their own. And there's no explanation whatsoever. That is awesome. I love that yeah. so much. <laughs> it's a plot straight out of every video. You know, hey, if you solve this really minor problem for us, we'll devote you know hundreds of elves to help you out. Like, no, it didn't make any sense. And I, I remember Mark saying something along the lines of, "See, this is what I hate: or adventures where you know you, they have this army and you want their help, but they want you to solve this really minor problem that their army could just completely solve." Yeah, and honestly, that sort of thing, uh, I mean, that happens everywhere. I mean, that's like half the uh, quest that I played in uh, Skyrim over the last two or three years. Yeah. So, And it was a wake-up call for me. Uh, you're right. I, I had played you know, World of Warcraft for years and different you know, RPGs. And, and honestly, when you're playing a video game, that's, that's what's what I love about tabletops. When you're playing a video game, you're almost conditioned by the games that you play not to question the plot lines. Yeah. To the point where I rarely read... The, the, the text. Um, I tend to play through games 10 years after they come out or, or even later. So I'm actually playing through Borderlands 2 right now and not strictly an RPG, but very RPG-like elements. I don't read the quest text. I don't listen to what the characters say. I don't care. I keep pressing A until something appears on my mini-map and then I go there. Yeah. So you you can get lazy as a dungeon master and rely on these video game plots, but they make a lot less sense. And it's a good caution point. They make a lot less sense in a tabletop setting where you're asking yourself, wait a minute in this world where anything's possible. Why, why are we doing this? So this makes me think if you have a table full of players that are conditioned by these video games and they are not necessarily uh, players who are, uh, I guess, really experienced at the whole narrative uh, gameplay that uh, tabletop RPGs bring. Um, does it really matter as long as they enjoy the game? Good question. 
and, and contemplating that, on the one hand, I'm going to say, no, it doesn't matter. And I think it didn't matter to us at first as we played through the Red Box, um, as we played through a couple of other smaller adventures. Um, we were good. We were good just following the quest text. We enjoyed the combats. We we talked, you know, about how we enjoyed the, the really tactical combat in 4th edition, how it was one of the best miniature combat games ever. We, we've covered that. We were still really enjoying that aspect of tabletop role-playing games. But having said that, the minute you're exposed to someone like Mark, who has that deeper understanding and yeah. starts questioning things, it's one of those moments where you grow as a player and as a DM, and you think, whoa, that doesn't make sense. I, I, I need to think about this differently. So I think you're right. It's fine until one of you grows enough to recognize that it's not fine, and, yeah. and then as a group, you have to all grow together. See, at that point, all of us, except all of us were actually trying to figure out the mechanics of the game and trying to understand it, and I think a lot of our focus was just getting through and making this work, uh, where now, if we were cast into that uh, uh, scenario, we would be like, WTF. Yeah. yeah, and to your point, Mark was the only one who kind of looked up and, and blinked and and asked the question, and we all kind of looked at each other like, oh, that's actually a really good point. Why why are we doing this? But yeah, the the, the game was was terribly plotted, and and that was the first session. Um, but let's talk about the second session now, where things got a lot better. So the second session was all about actually going up against the Iron Circle. Um, you might remember a couple of these um, moments, Brian. Remember the wooden fort that you guys set fire to? Yeah. Yeah. So. You guys were sent by the mayor of Albridge out to this wooden fort, um, and I, I let me take a step back and say you won't you'll find some of this in the adventure. Those of you at home who might have the the, the dungeon masters kit from the four E essentials line, you'll find some of this in the book for sure. But part of what made the second session better is when Mark asked that question in the first session, and we kind of looked up and, and and blinked and looked at each other. I took that to heart for the next session. And I really changed how I ran the the, the, the second part of the adventure. There were two booklets, by the way. Um, there were two adventure booklets that came with the Dungeon Master's kit. So in the, in the second booklet, I, I really changed things. Um, this fort, this wooden palisade, this, this wooden fort had been built just outside of, of Albridge and was lobbing rocks using siege engines, using mm-hmm. basically trebuchets into Aldridge. And, and, and I had the mayor... You know, send you guys out to destroy those, and it, and that to me made sense. You're you're a small squad of guys who can move quickly, and you're meant to go in, get in quickly, and sabotage those things because they truly were hurting the fighting effectiveness of, of this entire town. You know, destroying fortifications and the like. It made sense for a small you know squad of guys to go and accomplish. Let Let me see if I remember the mechanic of this correctly didn't we have to basically go in and there were columns may not be the right word but areas that we had to specifically set fire to to cause the fort to go actually setting fire was completely your you guys invention well right okay yes but like as dm didn't you set like parameters that we had to work within to say that the uh that the fort was on fire well, so I had you make a, a, a dexterity check to actually successfully set it, set a portion of the fort on fire. And the mechanics that I used, you might remember that I pulled out some aquarium stones, so some, some kind of red yes. glass beads. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yep, and I, I quickly came up with a rule on the fly to say, 
because I had no idea you guys were going to use fire. Um, I have since learned, by the way, and for anyone who's never DM'd out there, be be ready for this. The player's first solution to any problem is to burn things. That's our first solution anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, it makes a lot of sense in the game, so, so be ready for that. But I hadn't learned that yet, so I wasn't ready for you guys to say, you know what, it's a wooden fort, Pfft, we set fire to it. Um, and I had to come up with rules on the fly to, to talk about how this fire operated. So I took these red glass beads and I, and I set them down. And I said, okay, the fire will move at this speed. So around is yes. six seconds. I'll say the I'll say the fire will spread, you know, roughly one square every 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 round. Did we use an accelerant? I don't recall. You did. Okay, um, well that makes sense then. Yeah, you use lamp lamp oil. You guys all had adventurers kits, which included a lantern. Okay. Um, but the the fort was was very freeform. I, I used some dungeon tiles to lay down the fort, um, but I ran it in a very freeform way. And I don't know if you remember this, Brian, there was actually a drake, uh, kind of an unintelligent dragon, um, staked in mm-hmm. the middle of the yes. fort that you guys freed, Absolutely. befriended and freed. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah, that, uh, you know, as a dragonborn, I, I felt a kindred spirit with uh, with this drake. So that drake, you know, flew off, and we'll come back to him in, in just a minute, but to continue the recap, another part of this session that went really well is after you guys successfully sacked this fort, um, do you remember ambushing... The rider. I do not. Okay. So I presented you a, a plot hook to continue your adventure against the Iron Circle where you knew... Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. You, where you knew information was going to be leaving Albridge, Al- that the fort had been destroyed and was going to be sent back to the Iron Quarter, uh, the, so the Iron Circle's headquarters. And I asked you guys to ambush that rider, and it was very freeform. It was the first time where I straight up presented you guys with a problem, and I had no maps pre-picked out, I had no nothing pre-picked out, and I was like, okay, you need to ambush a rider. How are you going to do it? How are you going to figure this out? How are you going to figure out where they're coming from, where they're going? And you guys, on your own, talked it over and laid out a plan that was pretty logical. Um, You were ahead of the rider. You had gotten the message to intercept him by magical means, and you chose a crossroads Mm -hmm. that you felt like, hey, if he's coming from this direction or this direction... He's probably going to go over these crossroads. And you had laid down some tripwires that you covered up with dirt, uh, two ropes that crossed the crossroads in an X pattern. And as soon as you guys saw the rider, you were going to yank on the rope to make it a tripwire and to take down his horse and take him down. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, very well. That was fun. So I had no idea how you you were going to do that. Um, It could have been a pit trap. It could have been sniping the rider from a distance. It could have been trying to catch up to the rider in his camp at night. I I had no idea. But I did have my first ever prop ready. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a letter that that he was carrying. And I knew however you guys got, you know, caught up to the rider or caught this message that I would give you this letter. So it was a prop that I felt very certain I would be able to use. It didn't rely on one specific circumstance. Okay. So... That I think went really well. Do you, do you remember that improv and how you felt about capturing that rider or, or killing that rider? Uh, so it was one of those things where so there's that creative moment when we, especially when you have to think fast on, oh well, how are we going to do this? It's unlike the prison break episode last week when we just had a chance to sort of sit there and think and try and um, uh, experiment. This was one of those things where it was like, well, how are we going to do this? Okay, let's trip the horse or i mean usually we're always like going after an animal which or a horse which actually kind of makes me sad yeah i hadn't realized until you said that 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 was that's been a theme for us it it has i mean but it makes sense 
It does. Practically, uh, it makes sense. Uh, but it was one of those things like, well, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, um, we're basically SOL. And uh, I think when we have to think fast and in the heat of the moment like that, we tend to come up with pretty good ideas unless it involves a, a flaming bedroll. <laughs> yep. So that worked. Uh, you guys got the message. Uh, you figured out where the fort was. Now, the fort in the second booklet was insane. And I never even showed you the map, Brian. But the fort that the, where the Iron Circle was based, it was basically a dungeon crawl. And I, I had some gaming paper. Uh, gamingpaper.com we have no affiliation with them but i love their product it's basically rolls of wrapping paper with 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 a one-by-one grid printed on it specifically for um tabletop role-playing games and i I had some dungeon some gaming paper sorry and i had drawn out a portion of that massive fort that massive uh castle basically Mm -hmm. and pretty quickly i was like no you know this the we can't do a dungeon crawl. The the story that we're that we're selling here, the story that I've sold the players on, is that there's this Iron Circle army marching on Harkenwold, and you guys need to marshal allies and disrupt supply chain and disrupt messengers and disrupt siege engines to make this military campaign to to affect this military campaign, and to go from a military campaign to a dungeon crawl in a fort. I just I couldn't do it, man. I could not do it. Maybe maybe I, I I think you after not you know years after not realizing that that was the case. Yep. So what I did is I, I had these uh these pre made maps from wizards called the Cathedrals of Chaos, I believe it was, and there was a ruined castle. And to explain the fact that the castle was ruined, I went back to the Drake. I really wanted actions that you guys had taken mm-hmm. to impact the world. So this Drake had been you know, captured and, and staked and tethered by the Iron Circle. So I, I, I love the idea that, hey, maybe this Drake showed back up and kind of tore things up. So in hindsight, could a Drake actually level something like that, especially if it had just been tied up and, you know, was uh, subdued that way? Well, so the way I explained it, good, good question, and I actually had thought of that at the time. The way I explained it at the time was that most of the Iron Circle's army was away fighting. So there's a pretty small skeleton crew left at the at the keep of the Iron Circle. And in fact, I just found the map, by the way, if you want to take a look at, sure. at, at the at this massive dungeon that you guys were supposed to, yeah. to, to go after. Um there was a skeleton crew left behind. And since he was able to bypass the main defense of any castle, which is the wall, yeah. he was able to tear up Jack pretty well. But it was not without consequence to the Drake. I don't know if you remember what turned yeah. into a pretty emotional scene. Uh, I mean, I remember the Drake uh, died. I just don't remember necessarily. What, did he give up the last of his energy to um, to to uh, fight this fight for us, or did he, uh, or was he wounded in the uh, in the event? I don't recall. He was terribly wounded in this fight, and you guys happened upon him as he was dying. <sighs> yeah, and I didn't. I didn't know how hard you guys were going to take that but you guys are pretty affected by that so just to sort of step out in real life now um it's one of those things like if i'm looking at facebook and i see uh a picture or a video about a human being living in poverty and suffering i'm like oh that's awful but if i see a picture or a video of a dog or a cat who's living in poverty i just want to cry 
I don't have that. I, I definitely have that in reverse. You, you're you you're the better person. Clearly. I don't. I don't think that's true. I do. So uh, people talk about their fur babies at work, and I'm like, you know, if a car ran over your dog, that would be absolutely terrible. And it's happened to me. A car's ran over a, a very treasured family pet, and, and to this day, I, I think about that dog, and I love that dog. But people around you treat that completely differently than if a car ran over someone in your family. Absolutely. So I, I've always had that, that degree of separation. Like, like I love pets. I love animals. I actually don't have a pet right now because it really bothers me. I don't. As long as I've known you, you haven't had a pet. No. I grew up with pets. I love dogs. But I wouldn't have the attention to give one right now. So I can't. I, I love animals enough that, that I don't have one right now because I, I can't contain it. And I don't want to have it just be at my house while I'm working all day, not getting the attention that it needs. Now we're, now, we're, we're way off in left field. Now I feel terrible. Thanks, but, but, but we all agree that we're animal lovers, right? Yes. So regardless of which one you love more, we're all animal lovers. So, so seeing that Drake, I should have known. And I really enjoyed the fact that, that something you guys had done you know, a couple hours ago in the session now had an impact and had changed this part of this adventure. So I love that you guys were impacting the world. I thought when the Drake... You know, passed away. I, I, honestly, if I'm being 100% honest here, I killed the Drake because my main fear was that Mike's character, who was a ranger at the time, was going to try to tame it. Yes. And ah. be massively overpowered. Didn't and, we Didn't we do that later on? Uh, Jason did that later on. When we started playing basic fantasy role playing, he was a necromancer and he kept turning corpses into his army of undead. Oh, I thought that uh, I had... I guess I just, it's my recollection about the, the Drake. I, I, I had vaguely uh, remembered that we had uh, tamed something, or at least attempted to, which is clearly yeah, what happened you, here. You, you did roll animal handling, because one of you actually had animal handling, which was a skill back in 4E. You actually rolled that to, to calm him down and free him, and he did befriend that person, but that person did not control his actions. And I, I was I was legitimately worried that Mike's character would, would become massively OP if he had this basically pet dragon. That would have been great. Oh, that's why I killed him. So, but what? So, I did that very for very mechanical reasons to do with the game, and then boom, you guys are, are affected. Which honestly, I felt good about too. Uh, but anyway, the the Drake died, and we went on to the boss fight, and I was able to use some minis, some some pre painted goblin minis, and and I had this one uh, the 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 main guy who run, ran the Iron Circle turn into a demon midway through the fight. You guys defeated him. It felt very satisfying. But that second session felt so satisfying, you know, with with the wooden fort that you destroyed and the rider that you captured and and the iron circle keep that you sacked, because I completely stepped away from the adventure. I used the basic outline of the adventure, but I I had fallen out of love with the plot points, and and really decided that hey, this this out of the book adventure is not working for me in my game or my players. And I've got to really change this up. And in changing it up, I owned it, which made me feel like I could, okay, if I own this, I can improv in the moment. And if I can improv in the moment, I can let you affect the outcome. And I was, was that when that first occurred to you? I mean, that that sort of style of... So it's, it's tough. To, it's like we talked about last time. We've learned lessons over and over. So in that very first game we played where I owned the adventure mm -hmm. because I completely made it up because I didn't own any adventures at the time. I had definitely learned that lesson of, hey, if I own it, I can improv. Because you guys improved with, with shooting the horse, and I went with it. In this game, when I took it and I made it my own, I could improv with it. I relearned that lesson, 
so it's not the first time I learned it. It's the first time I learned that, hey, out of the box, out of the book, by the book, adventures, straight out of some adventure book, may not be the best way to run D&D for me. So other, like, there are some games, and one that we'll talk about uh, maybe next week, that is definitely an uh, out-of-the-box or a scripted adventure. Uh, but it seems like most of the things that we've played, either you own it or you heavily customize, or maybe uh, maybe customize isn't the right way of saying it, uh, you free us up to uh, change direction. Yeah, that's true. And, and I owe that to two people. I, I talked about... In an earlier episode, our friend Martin telling me that, hey, if your players don't want to engage with your adventure and they want to go off in left field, you have to let them. And then Mark, in, in this game, in the first session of this game, asking why the elves need our help for this problem. So, yes, I, I really believe in letting you guys do that, and I've certainly grown that way as a dungeon master. But th this is where I learned that. Cool. So looking back, do you see clumsiness? That, so... I had this overwhelming feeling during this whole era, and then there's one more game we'll talk about, by the way, in the Essentials line. It's not next week, um, because we, we, we did some adventures of our own before we did Karen of the Winter King, but we'll talk about Karen of the Winter King, which is the last adventure in the Essentials line. But the whole time I was in this era of my DMing career, where I was really running every adventure in the Essentials line very rotely, um, I felt a little clumsy and goofy. But every session, you guys were ending it with, oh, that was great, that was fun. Was that true, or were you talking me up, or did you notice that I was struggling, or did you notice that the game was changing? What did you notice as a player? So, again, at this point, I was still very much trying to learn the mechanic. 4E, especially for somebody who had never played before, was very complex. Um, and I was not as comfortable in my role as a player uh, as I am now. So, uh, I had a lot of fun, and... It was primarily from engaging with this story or in this story with you guys. Uh, so even if I, even if the story had been uh, wrote or had uh, things been a little awkward, one I probably, I almost certainly didn't notice. Two, it was in completely secondary to the fact that I just really enjoyed playing the game. And I, I don't know that I mentioned this before, but like when I came into uh, this D and D experience. It was I came in very skeptical, not skeptical in the sense that I thought that I would hate it, but I did go in with a prejudice of what playing these games really implied about a person. I'll say, which now in hindsight is just I feel terrible about it because I really enjoy the game and I, I hate feeling judgmental against anybody who who enjoys doing this. But no, I mean. It, I, we really absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, now, if we were thrown back in time somehow, and Brian, Chris, Mike of today were playing with Dusty of 2010 or 2011, uh, we might notice that um, you know some things were a little simplistic, or things were not as you know, um, or things were more contrived than they are now. Uh, but uh, as you've grown as a DM, we've grown as players, and fortunately, you have grown a little faster, and you're always a little farther ahead than we are as players, which makes you a good DM. Yeah, I'm I'm hypercritical of myself, which I think DMs to some level need, but we also need to forgive ourselves a little bit. Uh, it's funny that you say that, because I think that you and I as players got to play with the 2011 Dusty Era GM. <laughs> 
at, like, at Mace you're, last you're, year. You were still better than that guy. <laughs> we'll we'll talk in an upcoming game about about uh, well, sorry, in an upcoming podcast, we'll talk about our experiences at at, at Mace, the Mid Atlantic Convention Expo last year. It was my first game con, and it was fantastic, and I loved it, and I'm going back. But Brian and I signed up for a game together that that was less than stellar, and we'll talk about that later. Um, I think that's it for Reavers of Harkenwald. I, I learned a lot. I really valued this game at the time when Mark was like, why do we, you know, why? That question that he asked about the elves. At the time, I was pretty annoyed with him, but I'm so glad that he asked that. And I don't know if Mark listens, but it, Mark, if you do, um, I was pretty annoyed with you when you brought this up, but I grew a lot as a GM specifically because of that offhanded comment. And Mark was much more experienced than we were. If he hadn't been in that game, I wouldn't have had that that moment of growth. And I've had a lot of moments of growth over the years, but I think this is one of the earliest and biggest ones. So uh, Mark definitely was more experienced, and I don't think it was something that I appreciated at the time because the way that I interpreted it back then, because Mark didn't engage in the story or the game as much as we did and uh, at the time, I thought, oh, well, Mark must Mark must feel that he's, you know, way more advanced than we are because it's like he's um, he's pulling back. But I think he honestly he probably was pulling back a little bit so that we could still enjoy enjoy the game instead of, you know, nitpicking all of our logical inconsistencies that we certainly must have had. Yeah, I, I imagine this would be like you appearing on a podcast um, with some people that don't have fantastic audio equipment or a good understanding of of how to podcast i've been there it's okay yep and and, and you 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 work your way through it because you recognize that they're learning and that's exactly where mark was yeah way to go mark you're awesome <laughs> all right well so brian uh next week we're going to talk about our halloween game i loved this game i uh remember being very excited and almost proud of the job that you did with that and uh I remember taking pictures and posting them to like Twitter and Facebook because I, I thought it was so, so oh, awesome. We should find those for the show notes. Yeah, I, I know I have them somewhere. Um, this is so next week will be really interesting then because we're really going to disagree. I kind of hated that game. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll be excited to see what we <laughs> what we uh, what we come to. Awesome. So I guess we'll see you next week, Dusty. See you next week, Brian. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.